here we go. <laughs> the Sprista's Goose. <laughs> I don't apocalypse on Shabbos. <laughs> Trump Shabbos. <laughs> I say that doesn't sound like too good of a story for him then. <laughs> yes, it's an 80s film, but it's a quintessential 80s film. That motherfucker gets me excited about science. But yes, I, I do think that this movie requires a couple more views. I have the same cup size as Doc Hawk. <laughs> Give me my sandwich. <laughs> no crusts. Was it an instant classic for you? Uh, no. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moviegoers of all ages, welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh, and with me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, we discuss and <laughs> what makes a film. <laughs> Why is that so funny? I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely amazing, or just pure rubbish, just like this show. Wouldn't you know? All that we ask of each other is, don't be crazy. <laughs> don't be crazy, Zach. I think that new flavor of monster you have is uh, it's the giggle juice. <laughs> Oh, and I, was, I was holding my breath the whole time, and then, and then I, I can hold my breath for about eight and a half seconds, and then, wow. and then it, it was over. <laughs> you're, you're like an original Michael Phelps. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, Justin, it's been a minute. How are you, my friend? I am fabulous. I just burned like 38 calories laughing. <laughs> I'm excited about that. I would like to subscribe to your, to your workout program, please. <laughs> I got two shake weights. I got a monster and, and the giggles. Yeah, there you go. Here's some cab fare. <laughs> um, oh man, I I it's been a minute. It's it's been a minute. We uh, I upgraded my gear. I feel like a real adult. It's kind of like when you move out of your mom's house and uh, yeah, you start you, you buy your own socks and underwear. It's it's real. It feels good. Um, you're in an amazing state of California right now. How is how's that treating you? <laughs> State? What do you mean state? Like state of California? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to shoot the scene. I want to shoot the scene. Uh, yeah, I am in I am in sunny SoCal, man. It's hot. People are melting out here. Yikes. Well, you should probably call the paramedics if that's happening. I know. That's nuts. I got all these fans blowing on me. <laughs> I got I got misters. I got all kinds of stuff. <laughs> misters. <laughs> Is that why you glisten all the time? I do. I thought I was pregnant, but no, it's just a mist. <laughs> you have a beautiful. Like, oh, I have this. Yeah, I have this glow. I am. I am. I am gorgeous. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It's uh, it's it's nice over here. It's definitely not like a hundred, but it's uh, it's 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 pleasant out here. It's very pleasant, Bill. So, yeah. As soon as I, as soon as I move, the rain stops. I know, right? You, you were the omen. You were the rain omen. I'm glad. <laughs> so, um, I am very excited today to talk about a very fantastic film. What film are we doing, Justin? We are doing Drive with Ryan Gosling, our second Gosling movie. <laughs> Starring Rihanna. Shut up and drive, <laughs> drive, drive, drive. This is our second Gosling film. Man, we are, uh, we're all over the place with Gosling. What you, is... pick, you pick both. <laughs> Subconsciously, I just feel like it's uh, a symbiotic relationship between him and I. I mean, we're we're both good-looking dudes. We both, uh, I don't know, drive nice cars. Mine's a Jeep. (laughs) His is probably like a Ferrari. I don't know. (laughs) 
he had opened with an Impala. That's true. An Impala. An Impala. <laughs> That's the number one car in California at the time. No big deal. Oh, interesting. Says I had, the I had an the Impala. For, I was gonna say it says the former car salesman. I, yeah. I, I trust you. I sold a I was just telling Alex yesterday that I sold an Impala to a guy named Maynard. <laughs> Andrew James talking, Keenan from Tool? No, no, but that's what started the whole thing. Now that it's uh, available on the digital services, yeah, I was like, yeah, Maynard. And she's like, what? I'm like, Maynard. <laughs> she's like, she goes, that's gross. And I'm like, that's a bit of a rapey name, I suppose. <laughs> that's gross. It's got, got a creepy vibe to it. But I was like, you know, I saw a car to a guy named Maynard. Big fucker. He was like 6'7", 300 pounds. Um... Hell of a nice guy, but he's like, hey, you got any cars for me? I'm like, dude, I got just the car for you. And I just happened to be great at selling it because I was driving one at the time, and I really liked it. So Nice. I was, I was uh, walking, talking, and, and handshaking before it was over. <laughs> <laughs> there you, know, you go. The whole uh, fast walking, fast talking, uh, dealing a handshake. <laughs> oh, man. I'm excited to talk about this film, um, but before we do... What are you watching right now, Justin? What can you recommend to us? Uh, well, I just finished Mindhunter Season 2. Ooh, that's a bingo. <laughs> is, is that how you say it? That's a bingo? That's a bingo. <laughs> wait, wait, it's like bingo. It's just like bingo. Raven <laughs> Dirt. I never saw the first season of Mindhunter, but I heard Season 2 is excellent. It is. It's a, um, it's a little creepy, man. There's a lot of moments where you just feel uncomfortable, which mm-hmm. I can appreciate. Um, I do think that this season was uh, very much like the first in that it's a slow burn. Um, so if you're into that, you know, it's it, it's good for the, the binging crowd. I started doing like two episodes a night because they're, they're like an hour long. So each one just kind of felt like a movie, you know. And then mm-hmm. over the course of like four days, I was over and done with it. But it was uh, it was fun. It's Netflix, right? Uh, yes, sir. I is it fun? It's like kids getting killed in this season. <laughs> it was not fun. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, you know. Is it, um, is it available 4K? Yes. All Netflix original programming is available in 4K. I feel as, like assu- I saw... Assuming, assuming you pay for the 4K package. Yeah, which is insanely expensive. And as soon as yeah. Disney Plus comes out, I think I'm just going to delete or cancel Netflix because I pay like 17 something after tax for the 4K. It's insane. It's easily my most expensive streaming uh, service right now. Yeah, that's a lot. And I, same, and same I, with YouTube. YouTube's 17 bucks too. Yeah, my roommate has YouTube. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, I appreciate some of Netflix's shows, but honestly, I've been finding more, I've been finding better shows on Hulu and, and Amazon Prime, just my personal preference. Um, and HBO is, is the king to everything for me at least, but, um, I do need to check my hunters out because I've, I've heard very good things about it. So it's, it's definitely on my list. So cool. Yeah. Uh, what, what about a movie, a movie film? Holy shit, man. Um, so last night, Alex uh, and I watched Kill Bill volume one and two, and she had never seen them before. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So that was a thrill. Um, she wasn't. Uma Thurman's like biggest fan, but then she really enjoyed the character Mrs. Mia Wallace from Pulp Fiction, which she had just saw for the first time, uh, like I don't know, maybe two months ago. And so I've been trying to get her to watch Kill Bill since we got together three years ago. Mm-hmm. And and last night I was like, no, I really feel like watching Kill Bill. And she's like, okay, fine, let's do it. And then um, 
So then put it in, crank up the sound bar to like 11, and she was just all over. She was eating it up. She loved every second of it. Uh, she's She really likes visuals. Um, have you ever seen the movie Hero? A Johnny Moe movie with, with all the all the flying and the magic? It's like it's like that movie Itchy Crotch, but better. Is Jet Li in that one? Yeah. Yes, yes, I have. Uh, okay. Where it's very red and like there's different scenes like that. I remember they're right. they're in like a area like a temple or whatever, and it was super yeah. red. Yeah, right. It's like three different scenes, um, all with amazing like choreography and very. It's a very visual film, and um, like visual storytelling rather. And uh, anyway, she really likes that movie, and so she was she was just gobbling this up. She loved every second of it, and then, um, you know, we, volume two became a point of discussion and she's like well she's like are you, are you up for it i'm like you want to watch it tonight and she's like yeah let's do it so then we just chugged on uh kept on keeping on let's garden dig it yeah <laughs> so they are two very different motion picture shows and yeah, i you know I, I let her know that i go now the first one was a high fly and action spectacular this one is more in the vein of a Tarantino movie. A lot of, a lot of discussion, a lot of, a lot of full circle coming around, and it's, um, it's quite enjoyable. But two very different movies, and um, she loved them. A lot, lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what, a lot have. Of what have you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's just cool. It, it was a good time. I'm glad that uh, she finally watched them and enjoyed them. That's really cool that she was able to, uh, that she wanted to continue on too, because I. I do feel that, yeah, I agree with you, where the first one, in my opinion, is just far superior to the second one, but it's nice that she was able to conclude the Beatrix Kiddo saga, essentially. Okay, so you, so you actually like Volume 1 more than Volume 2? Oh, yeah, easily. Um, the sound, the visuals, it's incredible. Um, I loved Oren Ishii. I think Lucy Liu was fantastic. Um, but just everything about it was true. Like... Um, it, <sighs> I'm trying to think of the best word. It, it was it was a different combination of of filmmaking genres. It was kind of like a western, you know, too, where this person's like, yeah, it's like, like a, a western a kung fu movie. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah like, like a revenge plot. But then you have every element of a kung fu film. Obviously, they throw in some anime in there too for um, Oren Shi's uh, background, which was so cool. Uh, the fact that when she's fighting the crazy eighty eights and it goes to just black and white. Yeah, when she uh, but, pulls out the eye. It's when she pulls out the eye, it switches to black and white. Exactly. So from yeah. from a from a stylistic standpoint, and from the standpoint of they were doing that for the rating, so they could get it to an R rating. Like it was so good. I just I I, I love that movie so much, and um, it's also a great Halloween costume if anybody dresses up as the bride. But um, no, that's that's really cool. That's interesting that she had never seen it up until then. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I say that I, there's a lot of movies I haven't seen. Um, cool. I so I watched. I have two shows. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat. I have two shows. Uh, one is an HBO show. Uh, Succession. I binged the shit out of that. Have you seen or heard any of that? Succession. No. It is very very good. Uh, Brian Cox is amazing. Actually, everybody in it is really good. But uh, Brian Cox is amazing in it. It's nominated this year at the Emmys for I think um, best drama. Um, but I, I basically felt like I could go to New York and run a Fortune 500 company after <laughs> watching this. Right. So, yeah. Uh, but they're on the second season right now, which is great, because now I'm keeping up with it week to week. And actually, I think a new episode airs tonight on Sunday. Um, so I will save that for tomorrow. But the other one was I binged The Boys on Amazon Prime. Ooh, um, that's a good one. Yeah. And along the lines of what you were saying with the hour-long episodes, 
So I tried only doing two episodes a night, but I got carried away and uh, just because it was that good. And there's only six or seven episodes, I think. Um, Is it eight? Maybe it's eight. Yeah. So anyhow, I watched the entire thing in a week and it is so good. It is so good. Um, I'm very excited about what they've done for next season, setting up for next season. Um, And I'm a fan. So I'm hooked on it. I think that's awesome. I implore everyone to go check it out. It is very good. If you have kids, don't let your kids watch it because it is not a typical superhero film. Within the first five to ten minutes, you'll see why. So um, that's really good. And then I revisited the old (laughs) Uncle Rico 1982 classic of... (laughs) The Thing. I didn't watch Napoleon Dynamite, but it, The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, came out in 1982. And, uh, yeah, I watched it with my roommate and because he'd never seen it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, man, it just holds up. I love that movie so much. Um, very, very good film. So, it's a good movie. You should go see it. <laughs> oh, now you're speaking my language. I know. Literally. Oh, okay. Anyhow, we rambled on too much about that, but I love it. doesn't matter. You guys listen to us because we love you so much and we love each other so much. So um, the 2011 film Drive is what we were talking about today. Drive stars Mr. Ryan Gosling, who looks like me. It's just it's crazy. I'm sorry. I get it all the time. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard to be this humble. But yeah. So Ryan Gosling, Carrie Mulligan, Brian Cranston, Albert Brooks, Oscar Isaac, Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman, Caden Leos, Jeff Wolf. And James Babiri, uh, very good cast, uh, top to bottom, very good cast. Mm-hmm, uh, um, what do you got uh, for views? Well, oh, real quick, sorry, um, yeah, Carrie Mulligan, she's actually in my favorite Doctor Who episode ever, uh, Blink from season three. Whew, it's a good one, really. It's all, it's all about the Weeping Angels, yeah. She plays um, Sally Sparrow, and mm-hmm. it is a good one. I do like Carrie Mulligan a lot. I think she is our generation's um, Audrey Hepburn. Uh, I think she's beautiful. I think she's a fantastic actress. Um, I do not watch Doctor Who, uh, but uh, it doesn't surprise me that she's in that she's good in it. So, um, no, I, I, I love her. I think she's very talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of weird with Doctor Who. Like season three is my favorite, <laughs> and most people don't like that one, and they don't like that companion, which I love Martha Jones. I think she's great. Freema uh, Agamemnon uh, plays her, and she's drop-dead gorgeous, and I just love everything about season three. It's David Tennant is a doctor. He's in you know multiple seasons, but that's my favorite. But anywho, <laughs> I'm not going to get on about the good doctor, but I just enjoy that episode very much. Check it out. Oh, oh yeah. Alright, uh, give us some uh, reviews on, on this film. This was a very... Um, I think it was kind of a polarizing film. Sure, crit- critics liked it, but audience members... From what I see, a lot of the audience members didn't quite know what to make of it. I think it's one of those movies where you don't quite get it your first time. There's a, there's a lot going on. It's, it's weird because it's it seems like there's not a lot on the surface, but when you deep dive, there's actually quite a bit to explore about this movie. And um, I think not to... Not to sound like a jerk or anything, but I think people with a trained eye for film can appreciate this one a little bit more than your average moviegoer, if that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Okay. So, uh, Mr. David Thompson from The New Republic 
says, what it had going for it was an uncanny and moving relationship between Gosling and Molio. Hmm. How about that? <laughs> Which is funny, because they actually don't even say that much to each other. There's not a whole lot of dialogue in this movie. I know. I'm excited to talk about that. They just kind of have eye intercourse for like 90 minutes. <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah. Exactly! It's like Mugatu <laughs> and his assistant. Is that a red tube search that you searched? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, David Sexton, London Evening Standard. He says, A film that moves relentlessly forward, carrying you along so completely that it's only afterwards, if at all, that you begin to wonder about origins and plausibilities. That is an astute observation, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> David Sexton. Uh, I applaud you for that one. Um, Jim Shembry. From The Age in Australia. Ultra-violent, ultra-tedious, bargain-basement ripoff of the classic 1978 Walter Hill film, The Driver. Wow, gives it a 1 out of 5. Whatever. I don't, I don't think he uh, watched the same movies, everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Matthew Lucas from The Dispatch, coming out of uh, Lexington, North Carolina. A brutal, finely-tuned thrill machine that is also a deeply impressive work of art. Matthew, he gets it. This guy fucks. This guy fucks. <laughs> <laughs> Abby Bernstein from Assignment X. That sounds great. She gives it a C plus. Drive starts off strong and full of possibilities, which I think is what... Okay, so let me just... I'll read this really quick, and I think this is what a lot of audience members got out of it. Drive starts off strong and full of possibilities. But despite its fine action, it loses shape as it progresses. The movie, the movie starts off with a bang, and then they're losing sight of the big picture. There's a lot of subtleties that are happening, and you have to be paying attention. You can't be on your phone. You can't be fucking about. You have to be watching this movie. I think, yeah. I think if you're dilly-dallying and playing around on the Twitter or, or, or just being preoccupied with your own thoughts even, you might miss something. There are so many subtle things happening in the background in the foreground and just facial expressions are telling the story a lot of the time so you can't really blink i absolutely agree with you and i'm so glad you said that because that's going to make this this persuasion the sexual persuasion that i'm going to give you so much easier justin yeah i i, I agree with you wholeheartedly okay so that, that's pretty much it you got a lot of a lot of good, a lot of bads, <laughs> a lot of what have yous. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, by the time we're done with this movie, if you've seen it and you didn't enjoy it and, and you find yourself able to watch it again, um, I think if you listen to what we say in this podcast, you might appreciate it a little bit more or at least know what to look for. And if you did see all these things and you still think that we're the assholes, all I got to say is, don't be crazy. Just just at me, bro. Just at me. See what happens. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what it means either, but kids say it, so yeah. it's okay. It's okay. And, and those other ones where it's like, it's like, um, it's like a tweet where it'll say, like, uh, everybody or anybody, and then there's, like, nothing, and then it's, like, me. Uh, I don't I get that those. either. It's, uh, yeah, it was on Reddit. It was, like, literally no one, and it says you know colon nothing and i'm like this is stupid just stop I don't, I don't get the internet i don't know how to use the internet you show me a cute cat video i'll watch it 
show me a Kurt Russell Mimi. I'll check it out. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand the rest of it. <laughs> uh, what are the box office numbers for this? I feel like I'm doing all the work here. <laughs> you are. You are okay. the guy. <laughs> box You're... office. So this. So this motion picture show had a budget of fifteen million dollars. In the in, in in the grand scheme, that's not that much money for a film. Well, I agree. I mean, the '89 Batman was more than that, right? I I'm pretty know. sure. I'm pretty sure it was more than that. <laughs> I do remember that the, the budget doubled from Batman to Batman Returns in right. true sequel fashion. They doubled right. down. So um, when, either when way, drive, when Drive Two comes out, it's going to be double. <laughs> oh yeah, it's going to be thirty million dollars. Still driving. Running <laughs> <laughs> on fumes. <laughs> so this movie grossed domestically at $35 million making more than twice as much as it cost to make it and then uh, total worldwide gross is $76 million that's, uh, that's quite a return on investment very nice, very nice. Yeah. Uh, um, skip that part that says three sequels because that's not accurate <laughs> that's a lot <laughs> that was from Iron Eagle <laughs> oh okay turns into the road warrior at that point um yeah that's uh that's a pretty penny in in interesting though enough worldwide 76 million is still not that much and i think to what you were saying where a lot of people um they i don't know if i think they overestimated this film in a different context they thought it was going to be a shoot 'em up bang em up michael bay-esque film and they got a beautiful film but they weren't expecting that and it was kind of like our other episode that we talked about the village how the trailer made it seem like a horror film but people were upset that it wasn't a horror film it was still a fantastic movie it's just they didn't get what they got you know what i mean so i think that definitely affected the the worldwide box office numbers absolutely um, uh, a couple pieces of interesting trivia. In preparation for his role, uh, Mr. Gasoline, he restored the 1973 Chevy Malibu that his character uses in the film. So apparently he's not just the good looks. He can uh, actually work on cars. It's pretty cool. Uh, despite the driving storyline, dire- uh, director Nicholas Winding Ref- Refn, I can't believe we didn't even say that at the beginning. I apologize, Mr. Reffin. Uh, does not have any interest in cars. He doesn't hold a driving license and has failed his driving test eight times. Yikes. Yikes. That's, <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, that'd be like the director of the Santa Claus not believing in Santa Claus. I don't know who directed <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> believing isn't seen. Seeing is believing. <laughs> Despite the elaborate and realistic images of Los Angeles. Wait, Nicholas... that might be reverse. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fact check later. Uh, Nicholas Winding, Nicholas Winding Refn uh, has no. He Nicholas Winding Refn has no knowledge of L.A. Uh, Refn spent most of his time with Ryan Gosling to get to know the city. So it, it's critical because L.A. is such a huge backdrop to this film. It's and I'll talk about it more. But um, that's interesting that he didn't really know much about it. It's just he learned it from his lead guy, his number one guy. Um, big risk Bob. there, Bab. <laughs> Uh, Drive was the inspiration for the incredibly popular indie game Hotline Miami. And Mr. Justin, because he got the pixelated there, you and Steven, are you familiar with Hotline Miami? Yes. Uh, Have you played the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, The game takes... It screams Hotline Miami, by the way, too. If if you've played the game and you're watching it, 
um, you will be like, where have I seen or played this before? <laughs> mm. uh, but yeah, I think it, t- it takes place in like 1984 or 86 or something like that. And then there's a there's a, a trophy to die that many times, like 1800 and or 1986 times. I'm like, wow. what asshole is going to get this achievement? I got it the first day. <laughs> <laughs> I died, I died a lot in that game. You you were that asshole. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, I suck. This is a good game, you should go play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there's something to that effect, yeah, but I, I died quite a bit. Uh. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, yeah, haven't played it, but I have seen uh, footage of it. I know of its, of its existence, so when I read that, I was like, oh, that's a neat little nugget of information. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's actually cross-buy, so like if you had it on your PS4, you mm-hmm. could also play it on your Vita, and I think even your PS3 if you have one of those. PS3? Mm-hmm. What are those? <laughs> New York City! Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's actually a really good game. And you, it's it's all crazy pixelated and top-down. And you're basically, top-down. Yeah, it's... Um, and, I mean, the graphics aren't, like, amazing, but you're not playing for that reason. You're playing for the playability and the story. It's a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, I dig it. All right, let me jump into a quick uh, summary synopsis of the film. Um, Hopefully this isn't too wordy, but if it is, I don't care. All right, if you've got a heist, you need the best wheelman in all of Los Angeles. Simply known as Driver, this mysterious technician moonlights as the getaway liaison at night. By day, Driver works as a stuntman and mechanic with his boss, Shannon. One day, Driver notices his single mother neighbor, Irene, along with her son, Benicio. Driver and Irene start a friendly relationship while sexual tension visibly builds. Enter... Oh my. (laughs) Enter Standard, Irene's husband. Sandman. Standard. (laughs) (laughs) Irene's Irene's husband. Freshly released from prison and not a fan of Driver. Days later, Driver stumbles upon a beaten up standard while Benicio is terrified sitting in the corner, holding a bullet meant to be a threat. Driver offers to help for the job that the goons wanted Standard to do. The crew gets double-crossed and Standard gets killed in the process. Driver later finds out that Nino and Bernie, a local crime boss duo and investor of Shannon, are the ones who made the double cross. Knowing that Irene and Benicio won't be safe while he has the money, Driver makes his way through henchmen to gather a meeting with Nino. Driver goes back to the apartment and tries to alert Irene, but is intercepted by Nino's henchmen in an elevator. After Driver kills the baddie, Irene sees him for his true ruthless self. Driver then hunts down Nino and kills him while wearing a stunt mask. Bernie and Driver decide to meet and end the war, but not before Bernie kills Shannon. At the exchange, both men stab each other with knives, with Bernie taking the instant kill. Just as we see Driver bleeding out and not moving, we slowly hear his theme song build up until he blinks. Driver then takes off into the sunset, alone, knowing that Irene and Benicio are now safe. Driver has finally become a real human being and a real hero. You like that song? (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So, uh, quick disclaimer for this: we are going to use the the word "drive" a lot. I looked for a um, synonym for "drive," and you can't really have a synonym for "drive." So, the movie is called "Drive." I will say "Driver" a lot because that is his name. Uh, So, deal with it. Yeah, that's the disclaimer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, I I think Justin, we should jump right into uh, some of those reviews. So, this movie did not do great critically by casual viewers upon its release. Um, Why, basically, feeding off of what you were saying, why do you think that was? 
Um, I think ultimately the trailer might have presented one thing, and then the movie obviously deep dives and goes into something else. You know, in the trailer you're seeing a car chase or two. You're seeing, you know, um, driver walking around with hammers and and it just looks more like a like a heist movie which couldn't be further from the truth so i I think i think people just had one expectation and got something else yeah and we and and we've seen that in in certain films and like i said earlier the village was was the most relevant example that i could think of where you're like look this is a horror film and for us we talked about this film on the podcast too uh it comes at night we both thought that that was going going to be a horror film and it was (laughs) i I scrubbed that movie from my mind every day and then you just fucking bring it back up and then i just i get i get flashbacks acting in that film but it's just a horrible film It, it wasn't it wasn't what i was expecting at all and it wasn't even good even if i turned off my expectations sure but I think so, this is this is different. Go so, go ahead. Right. So one thing that's important too is that the beginning of this movie is is incredible. The the first like ten minutes of this movie just blow you away, and it's it's done in a way to where it's all done through the point of view of uh, driver. And so you know he's on the phone. He's like, hey, this is this is the plan. This is what we're doing. Don't fuck shit up, right? Then he's in the car. He's waiting. They get in the 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 robbers get in the car, and and the camera's in on him like the whole time. And what he's looking at, and he's listening to a police scanner, and he's trying to dodge the police throughout Los Angeles. And it is very tense, and it's setting you up for what appears to be an incredible action movie. And then it just hits the brakes, both metaphorically and <laughs> and and like actual and literally. And um, it's it's one of those things where you just you can finally breathe after ten minutes. And then it's a it's a while before something crazy happens again. And I think that's what might have rubbed people the wrong way. They weren't expecting it to go with the direction that it does. And and it, I mean, me being this this cinephile that I am, I mean, it's it's we see so many films nowadays, and we live in a culture where it is the Marvel Universe culture, where we are seeing blockbuster films that are so they have this paradigm that they have to follow and you know what's going to happen it's going to be this this action extravagant film but i long for the original screenplays i i long for the films that are for, from our auteurs you know the paul thomas andersons and stuff um and so to me when i see something like this like this came out in 2011 i think i saw it in 2013 and it has been six years since I've seen it. This is the reason I wanted to do this podcast was to give a second chance to a film like this. I liked it when I was when I was younger. Um, I didn't necessarily, I didn't really have an expectation for it per se, but I liked it. I didn't fully comprehend it to what my what my mind now comprehend comprehends it as like what what I see it as, and um, I think on this second viewing, looking at it as a piece of art, which is what it is, it was phenomenal. But I could totally see how somebody could go into it and be like, "Drive this this poster looks awesome." You know, it's Ryan Gosling holding a hammer. He's in front of a, a muscle car. And you know some shit's going to go down. You know it's going to be an intense action thriller. And we just unfortunately have so many of those types of things. And I love The Rock a lot. I love Dwayne Johnson. But his movies are pretty much the same type of thing. He did one actually like this called Drive Fast. <laughs> like it was it was pretty much the same thing. And he's standing in front of a car with a gun. Right. So 
um, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think I think that's what the expectation was, and they weren't expecting it. It did get slower, like you were saying, too. Right. It just gives you a minute to breathe. And and the thing is, like, this isn't like a this isn't a pretentious movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's, you don't have to have like some sort of film background or education to get it. You just have to go into it knowing that it's different than any movie that you've seen lately and it just requires a moment of your time and 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 you're supposed it requires your undivided attention so if you can give it an honest hour and 40 minutes to just sit there and soak it all in i think you will see this movie for what it is absolutely it's not and you're right exactly it's like an hour 40 hour 30 it's a very short movie um it's a pretty linear plot but that's not what it's about. It's not necessarily about the the main plot. Um, you were saying earlier the nonverbal communication we get from it, the acting, the 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 actors truly being themselves. Like so, Carrie Mulligan and Ryan Gosling, even Oscar Isaac, they say so much on their faces without saying anything at all. Dude, um, he's he's brilliant, man. Like I I don't give Oscar Isaac enough credit, man. That guy is awesome. I I just yeah. want to watch every movie that he makes. <laughs> I really genuinely care about that human being, and I'm just like looking at you know as I'm watching the movie, I'm just like fuck. I really like this guy. <laughs> yeah, so it's so funny. I'm just like he's kind of a dick in the movie, but then he has sort of these human moments, and you know he's ultimately he's just a, a guy that's nervous for his family and, and looking out for him. Made a lot of bad choices. And now he has to deal with them. And unfortunately, um, those he didn't ask himself, how do my actions affect others? <laughs> in this case, it being his wife and child. And he gets mixed up in some very bad business. And I genuinely feel for this character. And I think that's that's incredibly important. And you're right, he's fantastic. I mean, pretty much everything I've seen him in has been great. Inside Lewin Davis was amazing. I mean, he's he's good as Poe Dameron too, for you know, yeah, a, 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 as what it is. Um, he was even good. He was the only, honestly, the only good thing in that Triple Frontier movie, that Ben Affleck movie. Um, I thought he was great in that movie. Um, no, he he he's very good. And it's interesting. So one of the scenes I wanted to talk about too. Um, so when he first meets Driver. Uh, after Driver and Irene had been hanging out for a while and Driver had been nice to Benicio and stuff, and it's when um, Standard just gets out of prison, they meet in the hallway, and Standard approaches Driver, and he wants to thank him for taking care of Irene. Now, my first viewing, I was like, oh, he's, you know, he's oblivious. He's just being nice. The second viewing, I clearly knew that Standard was like, yo, I'm going to assert my masculinity. You're hanging out with my wife. Calm down a bit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a good term. Peacocking. Um, and then I think that it was a very, very cool and telling uh, shot after that, where he literally walks out a, a door above it. It clears day. It says exit. And then his shadow is is still there. It just it lingers there. His shadow of him exiting. And then it shows uh, a driver in the frame. And then it cuts to Irene. And it's just like, look. Standard is a shadow in this relationship. He is forgotten. He's out there. It just hasn't happened yet. <laughs> um, I, I thought that that was such a cool scene. And Oscar Isaac is great. I mean, he, with the little screen time he has, he's in this movie for maybe 15 minutes at that. I And you're right. He, ha, he just has this presence where you're like, wow, okay, cool. I dig it. I totally dig it. Um, but I'm yes. I dig you, and I can't even lie about it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate Tupac. that. That's the Tupac. 
Yeah. Um, I just think that uh, I've said this before several times. I think that we're just so used to the shoot them up, blow them up, Michael Bay style action. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, and, and like I, I'm sure. a sucker. I'm sure. a sucker for Michael Bay films. I mean, I, I like him too. There's something about, you know, the, the mindless action that's that's kind of cool. Um, you kids with your hula hoops and Pac-Man video, <laughs> Pac-Man game. video game. <laughs> but, um, but when you see something that's original, I mean, this is based off of a book essentially, but it's still original art. I mean, the idea itself has been done before. A heist film, we've seen, you know, how many heist films. But the way it's kind of shot is so, so cool. I mean, the lighting is beautiful in this film. And uh, Reffin's one of his his greatest trademarks is his his use of light. And um, it's so practical in this film. I mean, they use, and if anybody's been to L.A., Justin, have you been to a little town called Los Angeles before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at night, it, it it's this this aura around the city and it's so interesting and the light reflecting off the smog <laughs> pretty much but um just the fact that he was using you know natural light and street lights and all these different things and dome lights to light his scenes was so cool it was so visceral and it put you into that moment coming up that dome <laughs> what do you want you boob <laughs> you jimmy king boob jimmy king boob <laughs> Um, stupid Jimmy King allergies, <laughs> stupid Diamond Dallas Page allergies. Uh, so I, I, I think that that uh, plays a big part into it. And I think that, um, yes, if you this demands your attention, like you were saying, you need to put your phone down. You need to watch the subtle subtleties. You need to listen to some of the things that are being said, because there's a lot of them. There's a ton of little things that you pick up on through this film. And we'll go over that as we kind of um, draw this out a little more. Um, so. One thing I wanted to ask you to another thing I want to ask you. So they omit the driver's name in this film. He is just simply referred to as the driver or kid. Shannon calls him kid sometimes. Um, why do you think that they do this? Um, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. I don't I don't think he needs one. I think in his mind, he is the, a driver and that's who he is. Okay. I don't. I, I really don't think he. I don't think he needs one. He's 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 doing what he does. So how I how I felt when I. Well, I guess I'll say the second when I watched it a few days ago. How I felt was, this felt to me like a video game. Um, from the get go, you have an amazing opening scene, and then you have the music queuing in to the awesome credits scene like the opening credits and i think it was so great kavinsky's night call was playing during it it felt like i was playing a grand theft auto game or something of that and to me this is just my opinion to me omitting his name puts me in that vicarious vicariously puts me into his shoes that could be in anybody this could be any of us and it felt very video game-esque in that sense um, so I, that's why I personally think that they did it. It also added to his, his mystere, um, to just not have a name. I mean, you look at Westerns where it's, it's just the writer or people come into town and they don't have yeah. an actual name. It's a pseudonym. Not a stranger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a pseudonym, right? It adds to that mystere. Or like um, the, uh, Red Dead. Hey, mister. Hey, mister. <laughs> we gotta have more time. We just need a little more money. <laughs> More money, God. Dutch. You got enough money, homie. <laughs> Dude, fuck that guy. Um. So yeah, I, I did. I didn't even think about it that way. I just, I literally thought that this is what was important to him, 
Uh, he doesn't open up to anybody. He's a man of very few words, and all he does is drive. So I, I just interpret it as he either doesn't have one or he doesn't need one. So, and Justin, you've played a video game before, right? Yeah. A couple. <laughs> couple of them. So this is how the movie starts. I'm just going to quote it. All right. There's 100,000 streets in this city. You don't need to know the route. You give me a time and a place. I give you fi- a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes, and I'm yours, no matter what. Anything happens a minute either side of that, and you're on your own. Do you understand? Good. And you won't be able to reach me on this phone again. That sets up his character so much. I mean, that is... Look, he is the driver. That is his, his his thing he does. That is essentially a start of a video game when you just put it into your PS4 or your Xbox or whatever, download it from Steam, and you just boot it up. That's the kind of thing that can set a story. It says so much about a certain character without having to give a ton of exposition, a ton of backstory. And so... I think this just goes into his his persona of not having an actual name because we can vicariously put ourselves in the in that situation with him. So, um, so and this is something I think this is going to be fun to talk about. So, I think the music in the film is incredibly important to to the story. Um, I stated that Los Angeles is obviously a huge set piece of this because it takes place in Los Angeles. I would argue that Los Angeles is a character in the film um, along the same lines as like the town, which we were talking about early, uh, talking about earlier. Uh, Boston is essentially a character in that film. Um, things like John Wick, you could argue New York is a character in that film. Um, it is so important to the landscape of everything that's going on that it, it, it dictates a lot of what's happening in it. And I think the, the same can be said for the music. Um, each song that accompanies a scene, it ties into a character's thought process at that time. Um, it is paced well. And for a film when, you know, like the action ramps up or a bad guy is on screen uh, or something, you know, malevolent happens, uh, the music builds in the back or it, it, it kind of has this pulsing dunk, 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 like, you know, something's going to happen. Um, and it plays this important exposition, expositional part. Um, it just picks up at the best moments when tension builds. Um, but what what do you have to say about the music, Justin? <laughs> so... I I like all the songs that are in this movie. I just never really thought that they were they they always seemed out of place to me. Like I, I we were talking about this um, before the show uh, earlier today actually, and I just felt like while I enjoy every song that's played, I never really connected with it as it was happening on screen. It just always seemed weird to me. It it was uh, almost like the wrong song choices like. He, he he knew, he being the director, knew the songs that he wanted to, to use in the movie and wanted to shoehorn, shoehorn them in there. That's, that's just how I felt. That mm-hmm. could be, that could be uh, you know, super far from the truth. But I just feel like none of, <laughs> none of these songs fit the mood of the movie. So I can totally see that. Um, just in the sense of... This film, if you look at it from just a script standpoint, um, it seems linear, like I was saying, and it seems like it's been done before. Um, But 
when you add the score or the score, well, and the soundtrack in general, because it's not just, I mean, they're, you know, they're talkies, they have, they have lyrics. Um, it definitely, I think adds to what's going on in the film and it, and it speaks volumes to it. So you have night call by Kavinsky, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, the start of the, of the, of the movie. Um, well, not the exact start, but after the heist happens, the opening scene of like five or 10 minutes, that's the song we get. It's this beautiful tracking shot over LA and LA may not be a beautiful city, but at night it is so hard to argue that it's not, it just, it has this feel to it. Mm-hmm. And that when you get the neon lettering up up there and the cursive, it is just so beautiful. It fits everything that's there. Um, he works at night at night as this wheelman, as this different thing. I mean, it's it's very yin yin is yin and yang. You know, the night and day. During day, he's a stuntman. He's a mechanic. He's a happy guy who's quiet. Um, he seems sensitive, but at night, something else comes out of him. I mean, this is just what's going on. The next one, when you have the real hero song, um, the entire film, I think that um, the driver is trying to struggle to deal with his Jekyll and Hyde mentality. He's trying to be this good guy, this real hero and real human being, but he doesn't he doesn't know how to do it. He's misguided. The only person in his life who he could possibly get guidance from is Shannon and Shannon's his boss. He just does what he's told. And and he's just a a mountain of poor choices. Exactly. His entire life. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and even, and even Bernie says it, he's like, Shannon has just been one string of bad luck. Basically. Um, one real subtle thing back to what you were saying about this, this movie warrants your attention, um, or deserves your attention is, after Shannon gets killed, um, in a brutal way, by the way, I just I squeam every time I see that one. But um, his neck, if you see, he has a horseshoe on his neck, which is a symbol of right. luck to some right. people, which I thought was such a funny little touch that they added in there. Um, but again, it's something that's so quick that you have to pay attention to it. But uh, you're right. So he is struggling in this world of trying to figure out how to be this real person instead of this ruthless crime driven guy. Right. Um, and then when they have the song, I believe it's yeah. Under your spell, uh, how we, how that's presented is you have standard for his coming home party and Irene is there and we just have the, the close-ups essentially of both, um, I guess they're like the focus shots, both on Irene and uh, driver as they're in separate rooms working on different things you can tell just by their their visual cues and everything that's going on is they're both thinking about each other and the song says that it's like all i do is think of you i can't eat i can't sleep all i do is think of you this is 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 narrating our, our story for us and i think it's placed perfectly it's not like you know on the rooftop, shut it up, baby, I'm ready. <laughs> like, you know, it's, See, and, that, and that's what I feel like it is. I feel like he's trying to use this music to tell the story when the visuals are doing everything for me. And, like, I, I like, you know, the score. Like, the music when he's driving is cool. I like the city. I, I like all instrumental stuff that's happening in this movie. It was the 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 lyrical songs that were driving me nuts. It was, it seemed so weird to have the song choices in there to where the song is now telling me what's going on when 
I am not visually impaired and I can see what's happening. <laughs> I, I, I think, I mean, I, I can see what you're saying. Um, I think in conjunction to how they're acting, because they're, I mean, they're both fantastic actors. Um, someone, it's funny, years ago, I remember, I can't remember exactly who, but a friend of mine was like, they should just call this movie Stare, because that's all they do is just like stare at each other. But there's so much into that. I mean, they're both, you can tell they're infatuated with each other. And sometimes the best things can be said without saying anything at all. And right. And it, and it does that in the movie, you know, like when it, yeah. when it shows, when it shows her, you know, smiling or, or something like that, you know, she's thinking about, um, Ryan Gosling's character. She's thinking about, uh, driver. And so, and then, and then it'll immediately cut to him and he's like smiling too. And he's a guy that doesn't smile too often. You know, he's very serious, and it's not until he meets her that all of a sudden he starts to sort of blossom into into what could be. And I think visually, the, the director went through so much trouble to give us this gorgeous film, and now all of a sudden he's letting the music tell the story. It just seems weird to me. I mean, yeah, I could see what you're saying with that, like for sure. And I, it's it's hard to necessarily say because we don't have a version of it where there's no music playing to it, um, <laughs> which would I, be weird and uncomfortable. Sure, <laughs> but any but, movie that doesn't have music is just bizarre. It, it's it, off-putting. Yeah, it's like it's like ordering a Sunday without the you know the the hot fudge and the nuts. I mean, it's yeah. just ice cream. All right, so like it's like, that's... It's like a Sunday on a Monday. Oh. Oh, <laughs> oh, jeez, um, but uh, but yeah, so like, that's one of the things that I've that I I picked up from it was I think that that the music was so important to how tension was built was built in in, in the film, and it, I mean the music was it was different. It it was the synth wave kind of music that I really never listened to. Oh, it's my favorite. But it was beautiful, and honestly, it got me into that kind of music because it's very chill, it's relaxed, it's euphoric, it's dreamlike. And I think that's what a lot of this film dealt with was this kind of dreamlike look and this dreamlike feel, um, which makes a good transition to my next point. Well, it's interesting because you say that because every time that they're in sort of this dreamlike moment where they're having a good time, Mm -hmm. then there's just like a sudden snap of, him having to kill mm-hmm. him, having to, him having to kill somebody <laughs> or so, someone dies. Perfect. He can never be happy for too long. All right, perfect. So that's exactly what I want to talk about. All right. So um there are there are obviously many scenes in this uh film, but there are some that I think stand out uh, above everything else. And there is one in particular that is the reason I mean when people think of drive and they think of this scene, that's what it is. So I, I will go through. I'll leave that one in the middle because I want to talk about it. But so towards the end of the film, when you have driver after he has killed Nino, after um, Bernie has killed Shannon, they have a phone call and Bernie's like, we need to meet before this gets crazy. You're going to run throughout your life looking over your shoulder and it's you, me and Irene. So he's threatening him with Irene, right? So he tells him, have you ever heard the tale of the scorpion and the frog? Driver tells Bernie, have you ever heard the tale of the scorpion and the frog? Justin, have you heard the tale of the scorpion and the frog? Not until I saw this movie. So I will give a quick synopsis of what it is based off of Wikipedia. A scorpion asks a frog to carry it across a river. The frog hesitates, afraid of being stung by the scorpion. But the scorpion argues that if I that if it did that, they would both drown. 
The frog then considers this argument sensible and agrees to transport the scorpion. The scorpion climbs onto the frog's back, and the frog begins to swim. But midway across the river, the scorpion stings the frog, dooming them both. The dying frog then asks the scorpion why it stung him, to which the scorpion replies, I couldn't help it. It's in my nature. Um, I want to talk about that elevator scene. That is the most, I'm jumping right to it. That is the most iconic scene in this film. And the music, I think, is is so important to this because you have the henchman who comes in the, in the elevator. Ryan Gosling sees the gun. He subtly, everything's in slow-mo too at this point. He pulls her to the side, turns around. The lights dim. It focuses on them. It's this uplifting kind of dreamlike scene where he kisses her and then it instantly, like you were saying, jumps to a violent, like he smashes this guy's head in on the ground. Uber violent scene. Is that a dream? What, what was that driver dreaming of that situation? Because again, remember he wants to be a, a real human being. Like, was he dreaming that kiss and this is his true nature? He can't escape that, that violent past that he has, or was this real? Um, I don't know. I, th I thought it was real. I thought that, you know, she, the only reason he did it was like, hey, I'm, I'm either going to die or horrible things are going to happen. And, you know, you, like, I want to be my best self. And that's impossible because it's about to hit the fan. And you're going to see a very ugly side of me here in a second. So just let me just show you what could be and know that I am a good person and then at least I want to believe I'm a good person and then, <laughs> and then that's that's out the window when he goes curb stomping well and and he does that for her her benefit right like I mean he's in this entire thing because he wants to protect Irina Benicio it's not that he he likes to kill. He's trying to do the no, right no. thing. Yeah, of course. I, I honestly think that he he did that because it was it was a moment that he had, probably his last moment with her, to just connect with her one last time. And in this case, it's done in a very uh, passionate kiss. And she lets it happen. You know, she's she's into him, and 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 they have this magical connection. And then, boom, just like a dream, you wake up from it, hit with reality. Reality is that we are in danger. I have to stop that from happening. I'm going to kill this guy. This is who and, I am. This is what I can do. I'm going to do it. Yeah, and, and in that sense, he's the scorpion. That is his nature. And obviously, there's no. It, it's not a coincidence that his jacket, his iconic jacket, has a scorpion on the back of it. I mean, right. that, that's that's in his nature, right? You got that at the bargain basket? <laughs> but, I mean, um, even, even when the elevators close... That's, you know, very Godfather-ish, like, hey, like, I am shutting you out of my world right now. This, Absolutely. Is, this is happening. Absolutely. I think the elevator speaks to a lot of different things. I mean, elevators obviously go up and down, but you can they can mean different things like start to finish, um, continuation of whatever or, or finality. And along the same lines of everything that has happened in this movie with the nonverbal communication with Carrie Mulligan's look on her face and Ryan Gosling's almost like I blacked out face. Like he, he is just shooken and he's, he's a different person than what she knows 
through their nonverbal communication, you know that this is the last time they're going to see each other because she is she is horrified by seeing him in his true self, even though in his heart of hearts, he was doing this for her to protect her. They both know that this is the last time they're going to see each other. And I think that that is so interesting and so well done. Um, what, is, what does he say in A Beautiful Mind? He's like, terrified, mortified, petrified, stupefied. <laughs> I, I haven't seen A Beautiful Mind in a long time. So oh, man. You're on your own cloud here, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, but in that same sense, too, uh, so we see this calm, cool, collected driver at night his night call, right? You know, he has this specific way he does things, but during the day, during his stunt job, during his mechanic job, he follows the orders of Shandon. He follows the orders of other people. He is a very kind person or he's trying to be a kind person, but we see little hints of who his, of who he is in his true nature. The other scene I wanted to talk about was the hotel room scene. So after they, they do the job after standard gets killed, double crossed and that Chrysler chases him and, um, Blanche, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, her name is Blanche from and Golden Girl. <laughs> from Golden girls. No, it's actually Christina Hendricks from Mad Men, but, uh, ch- they chase them and, uh, he flips the car basically long story short, but then they go to the hotel room. And the two henchmen come in, kill Blanche, try to kill Driver, but he goes he goes to a completely different level and he just he kills both of them. But the beautiful scene and honestly, my favorite scene, even more so than the elevator, was this shot of him covered in blood, his face and just you see through his eyes, no words. He's looking around and he has remorse, he has fear, he has joy, he has anger, he has all these different emotions and he's like this is me and I can't go back. And he it it the camera stays on him for a good 30 seconds as he backs up slowly into the shadows. And I got to credit my friend Mark Giles on this one because he he brought it to my attention, but as he backs up into the shadows of the life of of what he is. He is the scorpion and he cannot escape his true nature and i think he starts to realize that as much as he tries to fight it he cannot escape it but did you have a similar reaction at all to the hotel room scene or am i just being crazy here (laughs) no i I think you're i think you're spot on you know even even when they're starting to come into the room he looks pretty scared you know he's he's concerned he's like holy shit this is this is going to hit the fan and then you know he all of a sudden just flips the switch and <laughs> and he just goes crazy and just starts killing people. I think that's, I think it's nuts. I mean, you totally see it again. That's that's the powerful part of this film is that it's literally showing you everything. It's it's throwing everything it has at you. You just got to pay attention to, to it happening. And that's what's so great about it. And it's but it, and and it's also subtle. But so I guess what you were saying too, like yeah, he's. Do you think that he do you think he wasn't expecting something like this to happen or do you think that he was trying to avoid something like this happening or do you think he was like terrified that maybe people were going to come kill him or does he thrive in that kind of stuff like you know when people are like oh I don't like conflict but really that's what they like I, it- I think I think he's completely taken by surprise it he strikes me as someone that's never had to um you know transform into this this um, sort of heart of darkness type thing where 
letting letting nature take over and him being just this primal uh, killer. You know, he's he's a driver. You know, he doesn't have guns. He's, that's not his thing. You know, he he's just a wheelman. And now he's having to take on this 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 new responsibility. It seems like things have always kind of gone his way, and now he doesn't know what to do. Um, but it is his instinct that is taking over and letting him, you know, it's it's his instinct that's basically guiding him, and, and it's working out. But I, I definitely think that you know he he's new to this whole thing to where he he is unaware of all these puzzle pieces. He knows that there's more to it, but he doesn't understand quite yet what's happening. You know, he, he it's this whole you know even even the what's Ron Perlman's name. Uh, Nino, Nino, Nino yeah. yeah. So yeah, Nino and and Nemo's dad. Um, they're. <laughs> Did you say Nemo? Yeah. <laughs> what is his name? Finny? Albert. Oh Finney? my God, you're right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. No, Albert Brooks. He's the sea cucumber joke teller, and um, you know they are very weird people, and the whole thing with with with. Uh, is Nino or Nemo? So, Nino. So Hellboy, 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 yeah. Hellboy is Nino. Yeah. So he ultimately, Albert we find Brooks. out that he is the one that is is the the mastermind behind this. But really, he's just an idiot because he's robbing from the mob, yes. and he's he's in way too deep. And he's been he's been a a pretender this entire freaking movie. We think Over that he's a yeah, Over we, a because he's 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 Jewish and and like he wanted to be a real wise guy, right? Right. So, I mean, he's a 100% opposer, and he's the one that ends up putting everyone in danger. And so once that becomes clear, then, you know, Gosling does what he has to do. But I do think that it's crazy that it's all coming together for us, too. We, like you said, you know, we are put in the place of a driver. We are his character, and we're along for the ride. And we're getting all this information as it's coming, which I thought was pretty cool. And and I like how subtle certain things were. So like when when he kind of put the puzzle pieces together and he was talking with Blanche in the hotel room and he realizes that it was a setup because on the news they said, you know, the pawn shop owner said that there was no one else there or something like that. No, 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 no money, was no stolen. money was stolen. Yeah. He calmly and collectively gets up. He locks the door and he slowly puts his gloves on. And as a viewer, you're like, OK something's about to happen yeah and he, he he does that and then when she goes to the bathroom and he sees the text message and he instantly just knows something's gonna happen and he gets ready i mean to me this is my opinion i think he he thrives for this kind of stuff he is trying to suppress it because he's in this world where he's again like the michael corleone use the godfather reference that is in his nature that is in his blood to to be this mobster to be this this guy that is a made man who does these things. And as much as you want to consider yourself a good person, it's hard to escape who you truly are. Um, and I think that's what, what he tries to get at with the, the film and, and Refn tries to, to draw that from the driver. He, he so he, do you think, can people change? Are, are we are who we are or can we change? No, I, I totally believe people can change, but I think in certain situations, I don't think that you can truly change a pretty glaring aspect of your life. Um, I, I think it's it, it's change, but it's it's within asterisks. Because sure. I mean, it, at, at the end of the day, he just keeps going back to being this this killer guy. Yeah. 
So so he robs Peter to pay Paul, essentially. He he is trying to save Irene and Benicio, but not in the sense of I'm just gonna go to the cops. It's it's I'm gonna kill them, kill Bernie and, and then because he's right. Bernie, Bernie lays it out there. He's like, for your entire life, you're going to run around and you're always going to look over your shoulder. He's like, screw that dude. I gotta, I gotta end this now. And he's doing what he can going in there knowing well. And he, I'd be remiss if I were to say that he didn't think that Bernie had a knife. That's why he brought a knife too. That's in his nature. He's a scorpion. He, they both brought knives because they knew some shit was probably going to go down. It wasn't going to go the way it needed to go. Um, and he thinks that he was doing the right thing. So I do believe people can change, but I think that we can't escape some of our true nature. So and and there's a and again back to what you were saying about you know putting your cell phone down and paying attention to this. When Driver is watching a cartoon with Benicio, you know Driver says like, "Is he a bad guy?" And Benicio says, "Yeah." Driver's like, "How can you tell?" Benicio says, "Because he's a shark." And Driver asks, "There's no good sharks?" I mean. You look at his face too. If you watch that again, and Gosling kind of he yeah, looked, gets sad. He's like, "Oh, he, that he, sucks." <laughs> exactly. He gets sad because he's a shark. You know, the sharks are always gonna be sharks. He should wear a shark jacket instead of a scorpion jacket. He should wear a forty-seven meters down jacket. <laughs> and go find some jets and stab them. Go hang out with Mandy Moore. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, I mean, I think that people can change, and I think that. It just I, mean, I mean, Rocky says in Rocky Four, if I can change, oh, you can God. change, everyone can change. <laughs> and that single-handedly saved us from the Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Way to go, Rocky. Way to go, Balboa. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think that that was so great. Um, but that's pretty much all I have. There are a couple scenes I do want to bring up really quick, though, sure. um, just in terms of Again, this is such a beautiful film, and and Refn, his work, um, Neon Demon, and Valhalla Rising, and Only God Forgives, he is a master at lighting, at character development. Um, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't say dialogue per se, but his lighting, his sound, it's so so good. Um, did you notice every time that Driver, after he had made his the hotel room killing, his face at, at stoplights would be flushed in red? Because he'd be at a red light. It was never green. You never got the green. You got little subtle things here and there. But it was usually always red. It was it was intentional. Because that was the blood on his hands. I mean, mm-hmm. when he first met Bernie, you know, he has that long pause before he shakes his hands. He's like, my hands are dirty. And Bernie's like, mine are too. He doesn't trust Bernie from the get-go. And you know, because they are both dudes who have bad histories, bad pasts. And they are who they are. They're both scorpions. Um, I thought that that was such a nice touch because the lighting, like I said, was so great. Um, the lighting in the elevator, like I said, where it turns, it just turns black. It's this euphoric dreamlike situation where it's ambiguous and you don't know if that was actually happening, if he actually kissed her or if it just went straight to a killing. I think he did. You I think, think he, I did? he did? Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's a single dream sequence in this entire movie. I think he might be living in a fantasy world, and he sees what he sees. You know, he's he's a very much a part of Hollywood. He's a stuntman, um, but I think that he just sees things different. He sees the world in neon lights, like the credits. Right. You know, that that's that's who he is. That's his world. But I do think it's happening. I mean, it's very Hollywood for the guy to kiss the girl in an adventure movie. So I think that's why he did it. 
Right. You know, like and, this is this is what I need to do. And you know, talking about lighting, the the whole scene on the beach with Ron Perlman with the lighthouse. Oh my god! And he's yes. chasing him, and he's kind of got like this Michael Myers yes. walk to him. You know, he's just like, "Oh, I'm totally gonna get you. You can run as fast as you want, fucker, but I'm gonna get you." We, uh, well, we should we should talk about that really quick because I'm I'm glad you brought that up. So. Why do you think he puts that mask on instead of just going as his normal self? I mean, Neo knows that the driver's coming for him. Why do you think he wore that mask? Um, I don't know. Maybe it was uh, a way for him to es- to maybe escape who he is. Um, it could just be. It could be a couple things. It could be as easy as, um, you know, it's not me. It's it's this mask guy that's doing it. You know, you don't know it's me. It, maybe in his back of his mind, it's his way of sort of uh, having an, uh, what is it, like a backup plan so he can't be blamed and the girl and the and the son are safe. It could be that he thinks he needs this mask to to do this crazy deed, you know, to, to, to dress up back in Hollywood and, and go out there and be the action star to go and save the day. Who knows? I don't so- know. So would could you wager that and hear me out? Do you think that he wore that mask because superheroes wear masks and he wanted to be a real hero in that? Uh, I mean, I suppose so. That's what the song would lead you to believe. Exactly. I think it's it's incredibly unclear in that sense. Um, I think that that scene was so beautiful because in, in, in an ominous way, I mean, the fact that you have, you know, inside of Nino's Pizzeria, and for some reason it turns into a nightclub for mobsters, but um, you zoom... Through, I know, in a strip mall. <laughs> I know, that was so weird. So weird. Um, but it, it, you have that beautiful shot, the frame within a frame, of him walking to the door, and it's just, you see him through that clear door, and I don't know how no one saw him, because he was right at the door, but okay. like... Because everyone's in their own little world, man. It's yeah. It's crazy the shit that you don't notice when you were just in your own little world. I almost got run over today because a lady wasn't even paying attention. I, I literally almost died today. I Holy was walking crap. through a parking lot and I was going through a crosswalk and this lady in this giant black Tahoe is not even looking forward. She's got her head completely turned Ugh. and she comes inches away from hitting me. Holy crap, dude. Yeah, it was intense. I got scared. Jeez, I'm sorry. Oh, it's crazy. But I mean, people are just in their own fucking world. They have no idea what's going on. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, you could say that he is being a superhero. Um, you know, he's he's wearing an outfit, his costume, his his mask, as it were. Um, but that is like the worst superhero getup ever. <laughs> but maybe, but maybe this is what he thinks a real hero is. I mean, because I think a hero is is such a broad term, and I sure. think that maybe maybe this is what he thinks. Maybe this is. Because at this point, the elevator scene had already happened, and what else is he fighting for? I mean, he's fighting for that last glint of hope. And and like you're saying, I like the Michael Myers reference. Um, you know, hits the car. Nino's like, "What the fuck was that?" And I then, think he just wanted to scare him, man. I like. I think it, at the end of the day, because he only wears that mask when he's going after after uh, Nino. Yeah. Like, I think it, he just puts it on to to bring terror to him. You know, Nino threatened the little boy. Threatened the the. His, his the mom and it's it's scary so i think that he wanted he being driver to to instill fear in in nino for a change like hey you think you're such a big badass i'm gonna make you shit your pants you are going down like a sweet muffin and and that's why he's <laughs> sort of relishing in it you know when he knocks him off that cliff 
he's standing there. He's not just running right after him to go kill him. He's standing there basking in the ambiance like, hey, this guy's totally shitting his pants right now. Yeah. Well, and, and again, with frame within a frame, I mean, that part when he's so it has Nino, it's that almost like close up shot. And then you have the window in the background. You can vaguely see the vehicle, the driver's vehicle, and then the headlights turn on and you're like, holy shit. And he hits him over the ledge. Nino survives, obviously, for a little bit. And then his only thing, this this tough guy, this monster guy is to run to the ocean Where's he gonna go in the ocean, right? <laughs> like that's that's him retreating, and it's like holy shit. And yeah, he's a the, the coward. Fact, exactly. The fact that Refn didn't have to show him dying says a lot because you know what's. I mean, he's he's retreating, and so driver kills him. Yeah. Um, but but you're right. The addition of the lighthouse and everything around there was so cool. It was like you, you're in LA. You you have to put a beach there. I mean, that's <laughs> that's yeah. It's it's so well done and. So many L.A. films have a beach scene where like someone dies or there's a final showdown or like what you watched uh, fucking Point Break today, right? <laughs> like, I did watch Point Break. Yeah. Dude, Point Break is amazing. And he goes to Bell's Beach and lets him surf off into the sunset, essentially, except he probably dies because that wave is huge. <laughs> but, like it's 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 no it's, way, it's... dude. He paddles to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he gets his monologuing. He gives away his. His, his diabolical plan. Back off, War Child. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Uh, so yeah, but um, but yeah, I, I don't. I don't think he thinks. I don't. I don't look at him as a hero. I look at him as as being a, a, a scary guy, like total Mike Myers. I'm a. I'm a get you. I'm a. I'm a bring fear to you. Yeah, and maybe, but maybe this is something that Driver thinks will make him a hero. And I, and I, in my opinion, at the end of the film, when he drives, the action makes him the hero, not, not the costume. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And in the end of the film, when he drives off, you know, into the, it's not the sunset, but into the night sky. And you know, that that bridge is burned with him and Irene, but he knows that they are safe. And she also, you know, in her heart of hearts, appreciates what he did. Um, he becomes a hero in that sense. He is more than just this scorpion. Um, and so I think it, it it ends so beautifully, um, and it's just it's it's great. It's it's encompassing of the entire film, and yeah. But that's Drive for me. I loved it. Um, I'm so glad I watched it a second time. Um, is there anything you want to add besides that? Because that's all I have. Yeah. So at the end of the movie, uh, Irene Carrie Mulligan. I've been calling her the mother the whole time. Um, Irene <laughs> Irene goes to Driver's door. Mm-hmm. Um, I interpreted that as she accepts him for who he is and she still wants to be with him. Yeah. She, she has a type. Her husband was in jail for kind of love. But, but I think that she sees <laughs> she, the, she recognizes the good in him. Yes, I agree. I'm, she, yeah, I'm joking. absolutely. And he, I mean, even his little, his little, and, and Ryan Gosling is a fantastic actor. Screw it. Whatever anybody else says, like he is, he's great. And his little boyish smile when, you know, when she got her car brought to Shannon's garage and he's just, he's giddy, you know, because he's so happy that she's there. Um, it says a lot about who he is. I mean, that's his, his time for true happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, that's good that she accepts him for who he is. But I like how it leaves it open at the end where it's like, look, I'm going to ride off into that sunset like what heroes do, like a John Wayne or a Clint Eastwood, what they do. Um, 
but it's it's cool. I didn't need to see him end up with a girl at the end. I like the way this went. Not it's not quite Hollywood, mm-hmm. even though it's Hollywood. What if he was driving to her? And what if not off to the sunset? What if he just shut up and drive like mm, Rihanna? Shut up and drive. <laughs> um, yeah. You got anything else? He's got a fast car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something about. I got a ticket. And we're gonna go shooting stuff. Save a lot of money to get out of her. Get out of the shelter and get promoted <laughs> somewhere. Anything is better. <laughs> Uh, I used to know every lyric, but I forgot all of it. So, it's all the it's all the drugs. It's all the drugs that I do. I like Chase Chandler. I like Chase too. So, um, yes, it's a good movie. You should go, go see it. it. <laughs> yeah, that's the official. That's the official rating for Drive. Please watch it, everybody. I bought it because I was like, wow. look, I, I like Refin. It was only like six dollars more than renting it honestly um so i was like i'm just gonna buy it but i'm very happy that i did i'm glad i watched it with my friend mark who was very very insightful in it um just i'm a sucker for la like watching once upon a time in hollywood and things like that that have this backdrop of la i'm just such a sucker for i know that it's obviously not always like that but i love the feel of it same thing with new york i just love the look of it and i think this captured it so well and it was so cool it it presented it in this way that you're just like oh it's dreamy, like we had that that whole theme going. So, yeah, Sweet. that's all I got. That's um, all I got. All right, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zachdale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we'll discuss them on our show. Heck, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Just please remember, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.